Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And this is another Turn the Tables show where I've asked my dear friend Tanya Gardner to interview me again because she does a great job of drawing me out and we enjoy spending time with each other. And... I've had an increasing desire over the last few weeks to share some thoughts and ideas about enlightened citizenship in the context of a comprehensive spiritual path. And uh, we can get into some background about uh, my teaching along those lines to create some context, but uh, Tanya is a perfect person to draw me out and we haven't rehearsed this at all, so we don't know where it's going, but I trust that it's going to be really good. So I'm going to turn the rest of the time over to Tanya, and then she'll turn it back to me at the end to close out the interview. So Tanya, take it away. Hi, good morning. Thank you, Dr. David, and hi, everybody. I appreciate the time we have this morning to talk about enlightened citizenship I must admit, firstly, I had not heard this phrase before, so I took a little time to Google it this morning, and I'll, I'll share with you some of the things that I found uh, in my internet search. But of course, I want to start first things first with, you know, for you, Dr. David, how do you define enlightened citizenship, and why has this topic come up? Uh, for us to discuss now? Great questions. Um, I haven't taken the time to actually write out a formal definition of enlightened citizenship, but uh, we can take a look at that now and I'll talk about my interests. So when I talk about enlightenment, I'm talking about um, an awareness of truth with a capital T an awareness of wholeness, an awareness of peace, of completion, and yet at the same time, a dynamism and a momentum. I'm talking about integrity, soundness, responsibility, like that. And in terms of citizenship, uh, I mean someone who's willing and able to be responsible for their beingness and participation in relation to a greater whole. So for example, someone could show up and be a good citizen in their community, or they could be a good citizen in their organization, or they could be a good planetary citizen. So it has to do with ethics. It has to do with morality. Um, um, and uh, and really responsibility. So, again, I'm thinking on the fly here. I haven't really taken the time to 
to develop this to total clarity yet, but I think this gives you and the listener enough of a reality to have a valuable conversation. And my interest in this topic has to do with the fact that one of my passions and I feel my purposes in this life and almost a covenant that I have in this life is to develop a comprehensive approach for human beings on planet Earth at this time for high-level wellness. And as my journey evolves and I see things more clearly and the, and the planet evolves and the culture evolves, uh, there are things that come in a sharper relief for me. And I'm in a place in my life right now, both personally and professionally, and working with my spiritual students as well, where it's becoming obvious to me that once there's a critical mass of integration um, in terms of self-realization, self-actualization, addressing your physical body in ways where the physical body is empowering you and your life gets in pretty good shape and you your communication improves and your relationships improve um, just in terms of the natural movement and unfoldment of life and how love and life tends to unfold through an individual person, my observation is that once people reach that level, that there very naturally becomes more of an interest and more of a concern and more of a caring about wanting to make a difference at the collective level. And by collective level, I mean like beyond our, our friendships. You know, like want to really make a difference in our organizations or really make a difference in our community or really make a difference in terms of healthcare or really make a difference in terms of the way the economic game on the planet works or really make a difference in terms of ending world hunger or in terms of uh, whole being education or like that. And so it, there's a natural movement toward being a effective, responsible individual in relation to these greater dynamics. And historically, along the spiritual path, there's been kind of this, um, on one hand, there's some people that kind of poo-poo all that, like as if that's not as important as other things. And then you've got, you know, people on the other end of the spectrum who we might call them social activists, who think that's the most important thing and who kind of poo-poo people that are on a spiritual path, believing that it's a narcissistic thing, et cetera, et cetera. And so this, to me, uh, personifies this um, apparent 
a schism between what we could call the man or woman of the world who has worldly concerns and what we could call the mystic, the, the, the being who's been more focused on uh, self-realization. And in, to me, this schism is not real. It's simply a product of the unenlightened human mind. And what ha- what, in my observation, what happens is if you, any time that you take action from a space of lack, from a belief in lack, uh, it's never going to have the result that you wanted to have. It's not going to be what I call authentic action. It's not going to be coming from true desire. It's going to be reactive. It's going to be compensatory. And it will never produce the result you really wanted to produce. On the other hand, there are people who have ideas about enlightenment and unity that are actually false ideas that actually take them away from the fullness of being of being a human being. And so that gives you a little background about why I'm so interested in this idea of enlightened citizenship and why it's coming up now, because to really embrace enlightened citizenship, it requires a deep inquiry into unity so that there's a realization of unity that includes all of existence, uh, in all of these dynamics and all of these areas and the ability to authentically be and relate and interact and be very effective in these larger dynamics like organizations and communities uh, and nations etc this is extremely challenging because you're you're interacting with uh, a world, so to speak, that is still very much where the institutions and the thought forms and the processes and the and the agreements are very much still a product of an ego-based state of consciousness. And so, historically, many people have backed away from the idea of citizenship because it's so overwhelming you know until you have a really good sense of who you are as an individual and until your relationships are in pretty good shape the idea of even taking on responsible citizenship in a large company or in a community is so overwhelming that either people will shy away from that or they will get entangled in those dynamics without really being clear and then they actually become part of the problem and very many times people end up with health problems and they become very bitter or very disillusioned or very angry and that just plays right in to the forces that they actually would like to end up transmuting so does that give you kind of enough reality reference points to kind of uh, create some meaning and for this conversation and some power? Yes, it does. Thank you. I, I think there's literally 20 points, reference points of what you just said in the last three or four minutes that we could dive into. 
um, as an entry point. I think where my, where my interest is, is um, the bridge between the, the mystic and the social activists. And this is uh, what I see in my own reality is that um, this, you know, this, what you said is in reality, there is no schism between these two, um, these two uh, ways of being, the mystic and the social activist. But I do see the tension that can arise from there. And you mentioned um, the word lack in coming from a place of lack and what I would call lack of integration of those two ways of being. And I wonder I, if, would you include with lack also a judgment where um, the, the one is judging the other? Yes, absolutely. Um, and to the extent that social action is based on judgment, to that extent it will never be wholly successful. And um, it's very important for people to realize that there's a difference between judgment and discernment. There's a difference between judgment and a preference. There's, there's a difference between a judgment and a standard that you establish for yourself based on love and respect. And until people make these distinctions, they will not give up judgment because they don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And, and, and the righteousness gets in the way because it's a turnoff. Well, I mean, it's a turnoff, but it gets in the way for a lot of reasons other than it being a turnoff. <laughs> Even if it wasn't a turnoff, it just wouldn't have the power to accomplish what people are really wanting to accomplish. I mean, if you look at history over the last few thousand years, it's a story, and the story is mostly about one group that believes that they're right, uh, using their righteousness as a justification to forcefully impose their will on another or another group and to invalidate the other group and to justify the use of force or threat or theft or coercion or lying that's basically been the story of human history over the last few thousand years, and it's just been a, um, a competition for dominance within that more, better, different game. And any attempt to participate in that game from a judgment position is just being part of that game, which, which I call the vicious circle. And so uh, until someone is willing and able to see that that is what is happening and see the utter hopelessness of any action that's taken based on that way of being, the game is just going to continue on and on and on and on. But at the same time, the avoidance of these larger dynamics to keep oneself playing small just as an individual or to keep participating with a small group of intimates against this world that you judge as bad and terrible, uh, which many quote unquote spiritual people have done for a long time is not effective either and doesn't produce uh, ongoing joy and happiness and health either. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
this is something that I have observed for a long time. And it seems like things are coming to a head at the collective level now that it seems appropriate to be having this conversation in a more public forum right now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious about your, your reactions to the conversation so far and what, what it's bringing up for you at deeper levels, because mm -hmm. you're probably a great proxy for a lot of the more spiritually mature listeners to, to my podcast and who people that are listening to this in other contexts as well. You know, one of the reasons I have you interview me is that I'm so close to my own work that it's so useful to have the discipline of, and, the, and the enjoyment of communicating with another human about, about these ideas and these understandings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for the question. For me personally, my, you know, I've been on uh, the mystic path pretty much, you know, my whole life. And I have shunned away from the social activism. And I have moments of, of great hope and I, I'm excited that things are coming to a head. I see it and I want it and I, I see, uh, definitely see collective consciousness increasing. People are waking up, the vibrations are getting higher and some days I feel hopeful and then on other days I don't. So I kind of go, you know, go back and forth, um, in, in my sense of what's happening at the collective level. I think what you said about a deep, uh, deep inquiry into unity, where, you know, the vicious cycle, you know, we see these things play out again and again and again. And it's like, when is it, when, you know, I, I do, you know, we are getting bored. <laughs> We're getting bored of the game. It's, and I can see on one side, one way, like it'll just fizzle. If you look at even, you know, in our political world, just in the United States, how few people, people are voting less and less and less. It's like, and like the interest is moving out of there. And that is, um, I see that as both a positive and not so positive because we don't kind of want to leave it to its own device in a sense. But I also like that, you know, we're not feeding it um, so fervently. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really where, as I'm more willing to step into the arena of social activism and see the unity and say, okay, you can be a mystic and you can be active and learning more about the spiritual path of, um, you know, the ego can only see things in black and white. It has to have a reference point. So you all continually reinforcing this polarity and um, yeah, just like it's time for a new game. Yeah, exactly. And the new game has requires that you think outside the box. Like, you know, the ego game is divide and conquer. So like, let's take politics as the object lesson for this conversation right now, okay? Yeah. Okay, so I think, I think Donald Trump got like 26 or 27% of the uh, eligible voters the vote. Mm -hmm. 
And so, on one hand, Trump's election was an expression of exasperation of the collective saying, hey, you know, we're not going to have business as usual. And yeah, this guy's a loose cannon, but what do we have to lose? On the other hand, you can't, you don't have any moral authority to lead people when such a small percentage of people voted for you. And a lot of those votes were protest votes against Hillary Clinton and the machine. So that's the challenge. And so the, 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 the ego working through the dark team wants people to be focused on right, wrong, Democrat, Republican, when in truth, the whole system is rotten to the core. And people are realizing that the whole system is rotten to the core, but it's leading to a lot of cynicism and mood of resignation because people have given their power away to the structure called the two-party system. And so that's the way the ego works, is to have you give your power away. Um, and that's the way the dark team works, is to have you give your power away because the dark team is cut off for most of its power because it's cut off from the love vibration. So its game is to get the light team to abdicate their power. And one of the major ways that they do that is that they give their power away to different structures, in this case, the two-party system, and therefore they don't have any awareness left to discover their own power and where there is tremendous natural alignment. And so if we take a step back and we go, okay, where is the real majority? Well, the real majority actually is people like you and me, people who love love, who love life, who love freedom, who love respect, who love honesty, who love fair play, who love kindness, who love the ideal of the United States of America, which was an experiment in greater freedom and liberty. But again, it requires a higher level of enlightened citizenship in order to um, responsibly maintain that privilege. And, and now you have a population that is uneducated with regard to their historical roots. You have a group of people that were never trained to think critically. You have a group of people that are being bombarded by literally trillions of dollars of very high technology um, interventions to control their perceptions. You, you have people whose bodies are being weakened by bad food and toxins. You have people that are under chronic economic stress as well, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you have people who really aren't up to enlightened citizenship, and yet enlightened citizenship is kind of what the opportunity is here. Uh -huh. and, and so if you would just stop thinking about left and right and Democratic and Republican and just let go of that game, there's really no cheese down that tunnel anymore. But of course, people are afraid to let go of that game if they think there are no other games but that's just a thought in their mind. Of course, there are other games. And the game that I want to point to is this game of 
clarifying your own values and then finding other people where you have some natural alignment. And my assertion is that the true majority right now are people that are, they could be way on the left, they could be left of center, they could be center centrists, they could be a little on the right, they could be the extreme alt-right, but there are, you know, truth makes strange bedfellows. There are freedom lovers. There are people who share the kinds of values that I'm talking about on all sides of the political spectrum. And if people can clarify, number one, clarify their the values they have in common, and number two, recognize that, I don't want to say a common enemy because that sounds a little extreme, but if they can realize that the... Um, that the forces that are limiting their experience and expression of well-being are have infiltrated uh, all the systems of our all the institutions of our culture, including the political ones. Then it becomes obvious that the answer is reclaiming one's personal sovereignty, connecting with other people of like-minded values and starting to communicate respectively, respectively, uh, respectfully and finding common values, priorities, and beginning to work together on projects to create a parallel way of relating that is completely outside the dysfunctional systems that currently exist. And this will happen one way or another because the dysfunctionality of the current systems uh, they, they will break down. They're, the energies that are coming in on the planet right now are such that it's impossible for the systems that exist today, if they continue to be ego-based, it will be literally impossible for them to continue to exist. So that's a given that there's going to be incredible changes. But what isn't a given is are the changes going to be smooth and elegant and joyful or are they going to be experienced by the majority of people as catastrophic and earth shattering and so that's where i come in as a light worker that's where i come in as a spiritual teacher to assist in that transition period so that um it can be a lot more smooth and a lot more joyous. And so there are people doing great work in the area that I'm talking about, but you won't find them if you're hypnotized either to mainstream media or if you're so overwhelmed that you've cut yourself off from all uh, channels of communication that have to do with this level of uh, citizenship, you're not going to connect to it. And that's exactly what the dark forces want. They want you either to be hypnotized into their narrative, which is mainstream media, or they want you to be so overwhelmed that you shut down completely and uh, abdicate your responsibility as a citizen. Uh, and that's just as good as far as the dark forces are concerned. Great. Thank yes, thank you. This is... Um this is uh, what, 
makes my heart happy about the whole situation. Maybe we'll talk a little bit now about, you know, the overwhelm that people are experiencing because I think it can be joyous. It can be a smooth transition. And, you know, if, you know, if we're enlightened, <laughs> if we're enlightened on our approach um, and what you said is about alignment and as you list all these things, um, you know, health and the environment and the politics, it's really all the same thing where as we move away from this polarity and we see a um, commonality and I, I would recommend for this podcast to reference at the bottom your interview with Robert David Steele, which I really enjoyed because he, you and he had the conversation as well about, you know, there's allies everywhere we look. And if, if we can drop the us versus them mentality and move towards alignment, um, then it doesn't have to be this painful crisis uh, that we're going to have to go through. Um, but this is where I see people getting stuck in the overwhelm where, you know, they don't know, uh, you know, every, it, it, it's, it's, you can understand how people sit down, look around and say, Oh boy, what, look across the spectrum at all these messes. Or I think there's another way to look at it at the higher level. That's it's all the same thing. And what you're talking about personal sovereignty and um, working at the, yeah, at the individual level and to, to bring that energy and that beingness in onto the planet in, in uh, many, you know, by the millions of us who, who will do that. Yeah. I have a couple of thoughts on what you said or triggered by what you said. One is, to talk about gradient and to talk about the dynamics. And, and I touched on this before, but it's probably useful to say it more directly. If as an individual, your life is in terrible shape, the odds of you having satisfying personal relationships are almost zero. If your personal relationships are completely a mess, the likelihood that you can be a consistently high-level contributor in your organizations and groups is very low. If you're not part of a group of people that are aligned with love and truth, the odds of being able to, to live your stand in our culture today is very low. So, that's one comment is we need to respect our gradient and where we are if we're going to be effective. Um, many people set themselves up for failure. It's like having a car where you might only have a first gear and a fifth gear and you try to go from first to fifth and it's overwhelming instead of respecting the nature of how human beings perceive and how they grow and how they learn and how they, how they can uh, become more effective. And so there needs to be a more accurate model that we use for assessing where people are and giving people a viable path to get from point A to point B so that it's not just another setup for failure. And then the other thing I want to say is that human beings, like 99.999% of human beings are social creatures and are much more influenced than they would like to admit. 
by the standards and the energies and the thought forms and the agreements of the groups that they're a part of. And, you know, one of the things I've seen in my work over the years is so many freedom-loving people are surrounded by dysfunctional families or dysfunctional organizations that they work in that they do feel overwhelmed. And if you have the faith that there are other freedom-loving people, there are other people on a lighted path, but you're not going to find them where you're looking. And you've got to set some boundaries to create a little space for yourself. And people don't realize that they can get addicted to these dysfunctional vibrations to the point where it even becomes part of their identity. This is, runs very deep. And so it requires, um, it requires a lot of courage, a lot of faith and consciousness to say to the universe, hey, I don't know a lot of other people that are kindred spirits, kindred souls to me, but I have faith that they're out there and I'm putting out my request to the universe to find them. And I'm willing to let go of my judgments and my righteousness that these people don't exist. And I'm willing to pay attention to my experience and follow my energy and follow my joy. Uh, people would start to find each other. Uh, I, on another level, people like can myself. Can I ask you a question about that? Because this is the area I'm not clear on. I was just wanted to complete a thought. Mm -hmm. And then we'll come back to that. The other thing is that people like myself and Robert David Steele and others, we're going to be offering and promoting new structures to the public pretty soon that will likely resonate more fully with who you really are and that will connect with this deeper kind of alignment. So that's the other part of the picture is that there's some light workers who have an interest in creating structures that are based on ideas that are more sound and more workable. So let's get back to you, Tanya. Uh, well, it brings up something for me regarding like individual soul agreements that have been made in the, the, in the book, Love Without End, Glenda Green, about your, our um, rights and freedoms. It talks about you know, granting yourself and others their equality and their inequality and respecting each soul's journey. So there, there's... Absolutely. That's, there's, that's vital. If, right. you, if you don't grant other people the space to be, to think what they think, to choose what they choose, to feel what they feel your life's going to be dominated by your attempt to avoid the domination of them. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I don't, um, I'm not clear on like, um, bringing light onto the planet. Uh, we have, you know, the dark forces, the light forces, and then we have each soul's own choices. And, and so how, I, how is that um, unified? I don't understand. How could it not be part of the unity? How could there be anything outside of unity? Mm -hmm. 
I'm asking you. Right. I don't know because I see. I have like this imagery of a, of a like some people are going to go this way and some people are going to go this way, which obviously is an egoic structure of polarity. <laughs> and so that's where I always, you know, people are going to choose. Um, well, it, it's not an egoic structure to admit that people are going to make different choices. No. I, but my imagery around it is that some people want to wake up and some people don't, and that's okay. But then how does that play itself out? But what's the problem? I keep waiting for the problem. It's like I'm hearing a problem in your energy, but I'm not hearing the problem in your words. It's like I I'm get waiting for the problem. <laughs> Like, is it not okay with you that some people are on a soul's path of serving the dark side? Yeah, I guess that's it. So that's your problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, it's a judgment. Like, I'm judging them. Like, oh, no, where are they going? <laughs> you see, to me, to me, to me, it's totally okay. And... I really you want to, to both. I really want to invite you to take a deep breath <laughs> and 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 work with this analogy or this metaphor, okay? Uh-huh. If you were a tennis player and you wanted to get really good, you wanted to explore the fullness of your potential as a tennis player. What kind of opponent would you want to play? The best. An opponent that would challenge you, right? Yeah. And depending on your level of skill, you would want a different opponent, but you'd always want an opponent that would help to push your edge to help you become more of what you could be as a tennis player, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can see that or if you have resistance to seeing that, but that's no, exactly. I see it. I mean, that's the Maya, that's the illusion. And that's what makes this so fun. And it, that's what helps us keep our humor. And I move around, you know, like I just did, you know, when I see it as a game, then it's like, oh yeah, it's just a game. I don't have to take my, it's not a, it's not so a seriously. But it's not a frivolous game. It's not like God had nothing better to do, and this is just occupying us. It's not like that. This game has purpose beyond frivolity or beyond the avoidance of boredom. Yes. And it's important to tap into what that is all about. What is more of the galactic purpose of this unique game that's going on on planet Earth? Why is there so much galactic interest in this particular game on planet Earth at this particular time-space coordinate? I don't know why. Well, what do you think? <laughs> well, 
Well, I don't, I've only, I only can regurgitate the, uh, you know, things that I've heard that resonate as truth to me. So what do you think? If you had a gun at your head, what do you, <laughs> what, what do you think? Why do you think there's so much galactic interest in this drama? Because I, it's an, this there, particular an hologram. It's an experiment to see if from this dimension, um, if the movement from three dimensions to five dimensions to 12 dimensions can be done at this density and this vibrational level. Yes, I mean, it has to do with, with transmutation. It has to do with, it has to do with the, um, It has to do with the, it's like when Jesus said to love your enemy. Jesus didn't say that because he was mamby-pamby. Why would Jesus say to love your enemy? So we can realize the unity and that we're not separate. And that there's, these are all aspects of oneness. Yes. Yes. And that, and that evil or darkness will ultimately implode on itself as light workers take their power back and are able to be the love that they are the souls that are exploring the dark side will eventually come to the realization that for them to continue to grow on their soul's path, they need to transcend the polarity of light and dark. Well, that's very interesting because you that you just sold that to me as the light worker four minutes ago. Yes. And the and we and light workers have to do the same. But it's a little bit of a different challenge because uh-huh. light workers have given their power away much more than the dark team has given the within their limited scope of the power that they can access. Yeah. They, have, they have been much better stewards of their power than light workers have been of their power. Mm-hmm. The dark team, within their own frame of reference, within the power that they are able to access given their rejection of love to a great extent because they only love their 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 small image of what they are. So they've cut themselves off from like 98% of the love energy, but within the energy that they are able to access, they have been much better stewards than the light workers have. They have been very focused. They've been very coordinated. They've been very thoughtful. They've been very deliberate in their planning. They've been very committed to their plans. They've done a lot of long-range planning. 
they've been very one pointed and they've been very committed and they're very clever. And so the light workers historically, the well-meaning people, the good-hearted people of the world have been very easy. Uh, of course, I'm generalizing here. They've been very easy to manipulate. They've been very easy to distract. They've been very easy to, um, to, to suck their energy and to, um, and to hypnotize them and to put viruses into their thought forms and into their bodies. And because the, the, the good-hearted people have not been good stewards of their own power and they've abdicated their responsibility. And up until now, most of that's been going on so behind the scenes that the average person in the world has just pretty much been being used. But now it's so obvious that things are not working, that people are starting to question things more deeply and that's the beginning of taking your power back. So does this help you to have a deeper understanding of what you were being and the questions you were asking earlier? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. It's, and it's fascinating. Uh, and what you said, um, you know, what it brings up for me is, of course, the light workers, um, I don't know, <laughs> I say, of course, I speak for myself, that, that of course, the approach was a so softer, yielding, um, because on the light side, well, you, it's, it's, a, it's a perversion of, you know, you know, peace, peace, no resistance, you know, not, you know, going up against something because, you know, being the love that you are extending. So in a way, you can kind of understand, like, if why there's been like, you know, there's that softness, but, but that is not the full picture because it's because of the disempowerment that's why i teach about that's why i teach about goals that's why i teach about structures that's why i teach about boundaries that's why i teach about lovingly saying yes lovingly saying no because yeah. there needs to be a yang to go along with that yin energy and um you know one thing that's important to understand is that by the 1990s, the New Age movement had been infiltrated by the dark side. Yeah. That's important to understand that. Mm -hmm. To understand why the teachings that the light workers have been exposed to, why they're incomplete. Mm -hmm. It's important to understand that. Mm -hmm. There's so many false teachings. There's so many incomplete teachings mm -hmm. and part of 
what I'm all about is to offer uh, a teaching that's more comprehensive. And so this conversation is part of that commitment. What's your, I think one thing that would be really useful for the listener is keep sharing your response to this conversation. What's present for you? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you wondering? Mm-hmm. Um, well, a couple of things keep coming up for me. I mean, in terms of what you just said, it doesn't really, it's just not landing anywhere with me because I don't know what it means. Like, I, I know... Uh, you know, I have learned some things about it. Okay, so the New Age movement by the 1990s was hijacked. I think for me, the the main thing is what you just described from a the the weak link uh, in the light on the light team has been the structure, the empowerment, the the you know there's there's softness and strength, and you know not shying away from confrontation. And, and, how, and those skill sets, and now they're coming, now the light team is, is, has woken up to like, hey, we, you know, we need to have this as much as the dark side has mastered it, we have not. So that, I don't necessarily feel anything more to go into there. Two things that occur for me, one is, you know, maybe a little bit of your take on the Dakota Access Pipeline, because I thought that was a very interesting time and it felt different to me than other protests and other movements there I felt that there was a a higher consciousness in that um, particular um, protest that happened at the end of last year and then the other thing that's occurring to me is a more of a metaphysical um, component of you know the the alchemy, the alchemy of being a light worker. And the story, a short story I have to tell is um, I uh, was a student of uh, Geshe Kelsang Gatsu, a Tibetan monk, uh, for many years. Um, and one of the lay teachers in that community, he worked for the Ministry of Defense in London. And you know, and I, I put myself, my career has been in pharmaceutical research, in, in clinical research, developing new medicines. Um, and, you know, there's some, you can see there's a, you know, there's, there's elements of both those industries, Ministry of Defense, pharmaceutical industry, you know, there's an underbelly there. And we, uh, this lay teacher went to Geshla and said, hey, you know, should I quit my job at the Ministry of Defense? It doesn't feel really aligned to my spiritual uh, light worker path. And, and Geshe said, no, Ministry of Defense needs enlightened people there too. And I love that answer. And, you know, it brings into, you know, the aspect of, of being the, a change agent just by being the love that you are and being in these environments um, as a change agent. But it's not that simple because there's a difference between being somewhere because you feel called to be there and being there because you're martyring yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's not but, that simple. No, it, I, I'm sure it isn't. I, I don't think it's simple, but I think it's interesting because it's a way to not run away from things that you can, you know, there it comes back to the unity 
Right, but on the other hand, you don't want to, you don't want to become, you don't want to take on this sophomoric idea that, that, that because something doesn't resonate with you, that you should stay with it because it's just your stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. It's, um, but it, it's not so simple. It's also not so simple to say, oh, uh, I'm, I, ha- I have to leave this organization. Absolutely. In fact, I think a good rule of thumb is don't leave something until you can be at peace with it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, an, another way, maybe I like to say, I always check in on myself. Am I, you know, it feels more in the flow to move towards something rather than away from something. That's theoretically true. However, most people are so, have organized their life so much about moving away from what they don't want that they have to learn how to pivot mm-hmm. before they can authentically do that instead of just covering up a lot of stuff. Yes. And that's been the problem with a lot of the law of attraction teachings is when they're not done in the context of a spiritual teaching that includes self-realization and a respect for human psychology, it just ends up being another cover-up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 see that, I see that more often than not. Yeah. Do you, um, I, I see the teachings on, um, you know, taking a stand versus pos- uh, taking a position. I, I see that happening more and more in our world where people are standing for something rather than against something. Do you notice that as well? Well, I certainly see that in how people are languaging things. And I think that's a good start. But it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to actually be able to live as your stand as opposed to live positionally. It requires a lot of inner work to actually be able to do that. Mm -hmm. You have to develop a lot of skills and distinctions that we're not taught in our culture. It doesn't just happen automatically just because somebody is inspired. Mm -hmm. There's so many people that have a moment of inspiration or they're around a spiritual teacher and they get a sense of an elevated sense of life and possibility. And that's a great start. But it's one thing to know that you've had a great start. But then if you confuse that for the ability to be that way consistently, you're going to fool yourself and you're going to get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, finding a really good teacher and teaching and group of fellow students to help you for a few years to actually develop the skill sets and the distinctions and to help you do the clearing work that's needed so that these insights are not just inspiring to you, but you can also psychologically and physically and behaviorally and relationally embody 
that knowledge uh, until you realize that those are two different things or put differently until you have a deep respect for the process of mastery uh, you're going to fool yourself and run into trouble. That's a, a big problem I see, especially with the millennial generation. They are so exposed to thousands and thousands of ideas that they get excited about, but they don't have the follow through. They don't have the understanding. They don't have the distinctions. They don't have the respect for the natural rhythms and cycles of life because their life has been so virtual, so soundbite that they don't realize what it takes to master something and they haven't developed the psycho-spiritual strength to go through what you need to go through from the point of being inspired to the point where you actually master something. Thank you. Yeah, I'm being, uh, I, I feel moved to, to, get your take on um, two recent um, big political movements and uh, to ask you, you know, if you see any differentiations between them. The first one is in 2008, the Occupy Wall Street after the banking uh, crisis. My um, thought on that? What's that? My th I'll give you my thought on oh, that. Oh, well, wait, I want to ask you a question first. So, so there was that in 2008, and then eight years later, if you look at Dakota Access Pipeline protest, you know, to me, those are, are two, you know, they were um, very powerful and interesting protests, but very different. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can uh, compare, like, the change from one to the next over the course of eight years. Sure. So with Occupy Wall Street, the, to me, the useful part of Occupy Wall Street was that they were attempting to draw attention to the deep state and the particular manifestation of the deep state manifesting through Wall Street. And to me, that was the value of it. To me, the limitation of it was that it was uh, primarily oppositional. They got stuck in what they were opposing. They were getting stuck in focusing on what they didn't like, what they didn't want, what they wanted to move away from. They didn't actually pivot off of that and, and participate actively in creative alternatives. And I think that was the downfall and the reason why that movement was self-limiting because it didn't go beyond protest. And I think... Um, the reason the Dakota Pipeline had a different flavor to it was that there was love there. There was love for the land. There was love for the elements. There was love for honoring a way of life. And uh, also, to me, there was another potentially sacred element in that because part of what the United States needs to do in order to heal and move into its own destiny, divine destiny, is that it needs to repent. It needs to apologize. It needs to make amends for the ego-based actions that the dark forces took 
in relation to the Native Americans and into and and um, and and with regard to the land. And so it was an opportunity. Also, it didn't happen, but it was an opportunity for a while for America to make things right. And so there were a lot of opportunities there. There were a lot of seeds that were planted. So I don't think it was a failure. I think that it 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 had it had a lot of power and it got it manifested to a certain point and I believe that the leaders of that movement are continuing to hold a space of love and unity and possibility that that when the time is right that 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 there will be a lot of continued healing there whereas i think with occupy wall street there's not so much room there because that movement was primarily oppositional mhm super thank you i that i think that's uh yeah i think you articulated that beautifully and that was my experience of the two movements as well where i could you know i couldn't get excited about occupy wall street because i saw you know that yeah just unorganized and oppositional and it also became like a free for all for you know everything and everything um so it was also a little um diffuse um that actually um I'm wondering now if maybe we want to turn a little bit towards, I want to share with you, you know, what I found when I researched enlightened citizenship briefly, and then maybe look, and from that go, it will go into, you know, the, the individual spiritual path and maybe something for the listeners as like, uh, you know, so what, you know, what we've done this recording, so what, and what does it mean? And are there some practical applications uh, for your life? Sure. You know, one thing that's interesting is I've never Googled the phrase enlightened citizenship. So this will be very interesting for me. <laughs> Great. Well, what was, um, what's interesting is pretty much every single thing that comes up is from uh, the country of India. So there are, um, the, it looks like India has really embraced this. Um, and there's this uh, concept of enlightened citizenship, and there's even an oath you can take. Uh, and it's, it's very much more of a nationalistic oath um, for the country of India. But one of the first things that comes up is an 11 minute YouTube video. Um, and it's from Illumine Labs. Um, and it is a, a Swami, uh, a modern Indian Swami, who's giving a kind of a lecture. And how he starts it out is he draws on the whiteboard um, uh, two circles. And he basically gives a little teaching on being, uh, on beingness. So he draws a circle and, he, and that circle is being. And then he draws another circle around it and he labels that circle function. And then he goes into how um, the, you know, beingness, the beinghood of an individual, and that is, uh, is a heart-centered. And then the function is 
um, what we do that we do, and which is like the head. And he talks about um, if we focus too much on the function, our world starts to appear to us as hierarchical. And this happens in our organizations and in our communities and on the planet. So he, he really correlates it, um, you know, citizenship, enlightened citizenship is more focused on the heart and on the beingness. Did you want me to comment on that? Sure. So the way that correlates in my teaching, my languaging, is that the mind, which by nature is structural, and to some extent hierarchical by its nature, needs to be in service to love, needs to be in service to the heart if, if things are going to work at a high level. And so that's how that translates into my teaching, is uh, we live in a culture right now that is dominated by the mind, and the mind has become the false god of our culture. Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, which is not true. It's much more true to say, I am, therefore I can think. And so that's how I see that. It's, he's correct. From my point of view, what he's saying is absolutely correct. And I'm just translating it for my students and people who follow me. I'm just translating it into how that idea is definitely a part of my teaching. It's an integral part of my teaching. It's a vital part of my teaching. And that's where that fits. Yep, got it. it interesting. Um, so, from, so from a practical perspective, I, I think this willingness to release addiction to thought and, you know, we can't think our way out of these social issues or can't 100% think our way. Like, we, we have to be willing to be. And, uh, you know, in social activism, there's so much focus is on the do. Yeah. You know, uh, one of my spiritual teachers once said, you can never do enough to compensate for a lousy state of being. <laughs> What I notice is the last thing people want to do is be. <laughs> but you can't do being. I know. I know. It's, it's a joke. It's my corny joke. But you can't. There is like this, um, and we've talked about this before, you know, that with, you know, our technology and our phones and the bombardment of information and, um, you know, that, you know, our, you know, our short attention spans, and it, that is only increasing in our information age, that it's uncomfortable for people to be in silence or be without their phone for 10 minutes. Um, so what, you know, what, I think to be the catalyst of change requires, um, you know, like you say, the heart over the mind, to love a senior to, to structure. So is there any um, advice for the listeners or on how, can, how to 
create more of the beingness and in, invite more beingness into your world. With all this technology and information, uh, what is your advice to people on how they can begin to create some spaciousness for themselves to invite and be willing to spend more time in um, being and less time in thinking mode? Well, the first thing I would say is that it's important to realize that from the ego point of view, Pure being is perceived as the ultimate threat. It's perceived as death. It's perceived as lack of existence because ego-based consciousness cannot conceive of beingness that is not defined by something else. And so to have compassion for that and to understand that and to be open to the possibility that what you consider to be the way life is and what you consider your perceptions to be real, that it's just one way of perceiving life and that there's a whole other way of perceiving life that maybe you don't know that you don't know about that and to have some humility about that and to have some interest in that area. And in terms of translating that into practicality, one of the easiest ways to do that is to practice a very simple but powerful teaching that I learned from a spiritual teacher named Bentinho Massaro, where you actually demonstrate to yourself that you exist independent of any particular thought or of thinking in general. And the way that you do that is you desire to do that. And so you take a slow, deep breath. And then on the exhale, as you exhale the air, you also offer your willingness to release your right or attachment to any thinking into any thought. So you actually let go. You use an act of will, of personal will, to let go of faith and will, where you let go of your ownership or your right to thinking or thought for just a few seconds. And if you do that a few times and you do it sincerely and honestly and fully, what you discover is that you didn't die. What you discover is that you still exist. You might have a sense of presence that doesn't necessarily have an object. You might just be aware of being aware. But somehow you'll demonstrate to yourself if you do it honestly, and you're not just thinking about it, but you actually do it, you'll demonstrate to yourself that your fundamental existence is not a function of thought. And that's a wonderful first step. So that's extremely practical. Great, thank you. And I want to give that shout out to Bentino Massaro. 
he, uh, you introduced me to him actually, so thank you. And I just love his teachings and his resources online and think he's such a wonderful teacher for our time. Okay, well, um, I think I, what I'd like to do is wrap this up. I think we've had an incredibly rich conversation, lots for us and the listeners to be with. Is there anything um, regarding enlightened citizenship that you'd like to say to help us close? That it's a natural progression of authentic being. It's not something you have to make happen, but it's something that I think it's to your advantage to be aware of consciously and to be open to consciously participating with. There's a natural motion in that direction, but if you can consciously participate with it and know that it's coming, know that it's here and understand where it fits into the larger picture, I think it can be to your advantage. And, um, you know, one of the biggest barriers to happiness and joy and effectiveness is having a static definition of something that actually is dynamic and, uh, and self-realization is actually very dynamic. There's a dynamism to being, to beingness. Self-actualization is actually very dynamic. Life is actually love in action. So life itself is very dynamic. And people are afraid of the dynamism very often because they're afraid of losing their center or that feeling of overwhelm. But when I talk about enlightened citizenship, I'm talking about participating consciously in these dynamics from a still point, from a centeredness that allows for the motion without getting entangled in the motion. And that creates the possibility of mastery if you have the joyous discipline to follow the energy and to follow your interests and to be the love that you are and to always do your best and to honor life and the living and to release the dead and the dying and that which doesn't work anymore and to have a forgiving heart, but at the same time to maintain boundaries that honor the unique love that you are. So I wanted to say that. And then also I wanted to say that if this conversation has moved you and you'd like to get in touch with me for any sincere purpose, whether it's working with me one-on-one -on -one or bringing me to your community or being part of some kind of a group that I might be leading or to uh, possibly have a joint venture business proposal or opportunities to teach and impact more people. I'm very open to that. I can be reached in several ways. I have two websites. One is my podcast website which is cuttingedgedoc.com. That's cuttingedgedoc.com. I also have a website for my private healing practice, which is davidkamnitzer.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-K-A-M as in Mary, 
N as in Nancy, I-T-Z-E-R, at gmail.com. I also have a YouTube channel with my name on it. I may choose to put this audio up on the YouTube channel as well. I My email address is david.kamnitzer at gmail.com. David dot, like a period, kamnitzer at gmail.com. So I wanted to make sure you guys had access to further communication with me if that was your desire. And uh, before I close it out formally, I just want to turn it back over to you, Tanya, and see if you're moved to share anything from your unique perspective as the interviewer. Thank you. Well, just to say thank you for being a great teacher and friend. This has been really enjoyable and um, very interesting to me. It's, it's really helped me personally, this conversation. And I appreciate, um, you know, the enlightened citizenship that you gave at the beginning of enlightenment as an awareness of truth, wholeness, peace, completion as well as the dynamism you, you just spoke of in your closing remarks, which I think that were very powerful, uh, momentum, integrity, and soundness, and then the uh, responsibility in regards to beingness with a community, an organization, and the planet. I, I really um, enjoyed this definition of enlightenment, uh, because it's so uh, comprehensive. And thank you for your time. You're welcome. Uh, other than that, was there any like, uh, was there any like super biggie golden nuggets you got from this or was that pretty much the biggie? Um, the biggie for me was really about the um, soul agreements for people who still wish to play in the dark side and that, um, you know, the dark side, the, the dark and the light exist as, as one in the oneness. I think that was the biggie for me. I really enjoyed the um, compare and contrast of the two protests. Um, I really think those are like living examples of, of where, um, Pot, where we're moving at, towards an, a more enlightened way to protest, a more en enlightened way to take a stand and what elements, what are the critical success factors. And then I really just loved, you know, for me, I'm a very practical person. I, and I'm attracted to spiritual teachings that have a, you can apply this in your daily life right here and now. They're not esoteric or, uh, you know, lofty that you can really get, you know, some experience right away. And so I really liked the practical, um, the breathing meditation and you mentioning Bettino Massaro. Um, those were the big nuggets for me. And thank you so much. I think, you know, anybody can, can uh, understand that and, and put it into practice. Beautiful. So thank you, Tanya. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and today it was one of those turn the table episodes where I was being interviewed by my dear friend and my student, Tanya Gardner. So 
with that, until next time, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.